Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Some questions about prayer. How long should we pray for something? When should we stop? When have we prayed enough? When, are, when have we gone from praying to annoying God? Uh, will God answer our prayer? Will God give us the answer we want to our prayer? Will he always give us the answer we want? I mean, if, if, if you watch some television preachers, um, the idea seems to be, if you pray, you'll get it. No. If you pray, you'll get an answer. But that doesn't mean you'll get it. You'll get what you're asking for all the time. But remember, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll, we'll stop. This week, though, we're going to see God's desire to answer your prayer. See, God does desire to answer your prayer, and God will answer your prayer. In two weeks after the revival, we're going to look at another passage that's very similar to this. That we're going to see that our persistence... affects what happens to us. Now say that carefully because I don't want to tell you that the more you pray, the more likely you'll get it. Get what you want. What I want you to hear is when we pray, when we go regularly to God, we see things that we would not have seen otherwise. But today, specifically, I want to look at this passage and see that God desires to answer prayer. Chapter 11, verses 5-13. And we're really, 5-13, rather. We're really going to start at verse 1. So let's, uh, let's start there to, to read it. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, Give us, e give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose some, one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. That was a really long no, wasn't it? I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now with this passage, we see two different things about God. And, we, uh, and about prayer. One is that persistence achieves the goal. Persistence in prayer achieves the goal. That's what we're going to look at next week in the other passage. This passage also teaches us that God wants to answer the prayer. So that's what we're going to focus on this week, first of all. We're going to look at the fact that God desires to answer our prayer. Look at uh, verses 1 through 4 first. Oh, there it is. There's a, a little 
we, we, we have this idea that uh, the disciples are asking, Jesus, give us a formula. Give us, give us a, Jesus, give us a, a formulaic prayer that we can pray and get whatever we want. That's not what they were doing. See, there's this little part of it, that the, the verb, the infinitive here, where it says, Lord, teach us to pray. It doesn't say, uh, Lord, teach us a prayer. See, they weren't asking for a model. They were asking for instruction. Now, in the end, they actually got a, a little of both. They got the model, and they got the instruction. Jesus gave, gives them a template here, not a memory verse. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray in this manner. Pray this way. Pray in such a way that you're honoring God, you're confessing your sins, and you're bringing petitions. Not a formula. Again, not if you pray these words, you'll get it. And I'm afraid that's what the Lord's Prayer has become in a lot of places. The Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, has become our formula. Just like a few years back, if you remember, the prayer of Jabez was a big deal. Everybody was praying the prayer of Jabez and getting rich. And no, it's not a formula. It's not, a, it's not something you do and, and, you know, and you get all sevens across your little slot machine and blessings start flowing out of, out of God. It doesn't work that way. It is a model. It's a way of life. It's a way of, to live. So he gives them this template. He gives them this, uh, this, this model of a prayer. And then he moves on to, to our focus for today. And this is how we know he is teaching. Because he almost flies through. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, well, here's the model. And he has the, the longer model in Luke, uh, the, where it's a little more expanded than what we're used to reciting. But he goes through this, and it, it, it almost seems like an aside. Whenever you pray, say, and he goes through it. But he also said to them, verse 5, so we know there's more teaching coming. They've gotten the model, but now they're being taught to pray. He also said to them, verse 5, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as, as he, he needed. So here we have the teaching of persistence and how it pays off. Hold that thought for two weeks, because we're going to talk about that at length in two weeks with a passage a little further on in chapter 18 about the, uh, the widow and the unjust judge. We're, we're going to get there. We're going to talk about how persistence gets there, so gets us there. So just, just hang on. But today, we're going to focus on another part of the passage, the, the next few verses, 9 and 10. That's going to be really what we're looking at. But we need to discuss some things that are going on here in this narrative. First of all, don't be surprised that the guy showed up in the middle of the night. Okay, The fact that, that he did that is actually very accurate. Oftentimes, in this part of the world, they journeyed at night because that's when it was coolest. It was hot during the day, so let's go on a trip at night. When he showed up at midnight, it was incredibly bad form for him not to not have anything to offer his friend in this culture. 
If somebody comes to your house, you want to give them something to eat. That's just the way it was. And if you don't, you have the worst manners in the world, and you're shamed in your town. So it was a big deal that he didn't have anything to offer. So what he does is he goes next door. It's late at night. The stores aren't open if there were any stores. He's just out. So he goes to his neighbor, knocks on his door, and, and you can kind of envision what he did. You know, maybe these houses, most of them were just one room. So, you know, tap, tap, tap. And he's trying to get his tap, tap, tap. Don't want to wake everybody up. Tap, tap, tap. He's not waking up. Tap, tap, tap. He's getting a little louder because he got tap, tap, tap. You know, he's, come on, answer the door, dude. Tap, tap, tap. He finally gets, uh, gets in there, and the, his friend, and notice that, uh, that he says, uh, when he goes to the door, friend, lend me three loaves. And if you look at the guy's response, he doesn't say friend, does he? Um, in the middle of the night, he's not too happy about being woken up. What he does say is, don't bother me, the door is locked. Well, big deal. <laughs> you know, we think the door is locked. Well, back then... Door locks weren't our just little deadbolts. You know, this was a big latch. Uh, it, was, it was a pain to get up and lock the door, especially in the dark. You know, he didn't have a light switch just to flip on. The door's locked. Well, that's the first reason he can't do it. And my children and I have gone to bed. So, I don't want your kids. I want some bread. Well, understand, the whole family probably slept in this one room of the house on mats spread out all, all over the floor. So, chances, is, chances are, Junior is curled up right in front of the door, and he wouldn't be able to get the door open without waking up, uh, waking up Junior. He, uh, so he says, no, I can't. I'll wake up everybody. Go away. Uh, leave me alone. I mean, that's not in there, but that's, that's implied. But we're told, we're told, look at here. I tell you, even though he won't give up and get, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, the relationship at this point does not matter. You're coming in here, waking me up in the middle of the night for three pieces of bread so you can feed some friend of yours. I don't care how good of friends we are. We're going to sleep. We're staying in bed. Go home and leave me alone. Even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This word persistence is an interesting word. It really doesn't mean exactly persistence. That's kind of the, the best fit. But translated, it actually means shamelessness or maybe annoying persistence. But the word is really shamelessness. Now, if we replace persistence with shamelessness, because he, is his, he will not do it, give anything because of his, he is his friend, Yet because of his shamelessness, let's think about that for a minute, shamelessness. Persistence just sounds like he's being annoying and he knows if he just annoys him long enough, he'll give it to him. Shamelessness has a different feel. Shamelessness tells us that this guy is first, the, the friend, is aware of his need. The guy knew he had a problem that he could not solve on his own. He was aware of his need. The second thing we see is that he was aware of his inability to fill the need. I need bread. I don't have bread, and I can't turn the stones into bread. I can't conjure up bread. He was aware that he had an inability. And the third thing is he was aware that his friend was able to meet the need. That's shamelessness. 
We don't do that today. We don't bother our friends. We don't go to our friends because we're ashamed. And why are we ashamed? Well, because our friends make us feel ashamed, to be honest. Or society makes us feel ashamed. Or somebody makes us feel ashamed. So we don't do that. But in this culture, he was not ashamed that he had a need that his friend could fill. He was not ashamed to go knocking on his friend's door and say, i got a problem and I can't fix it. And this friend uh, was, would not get up because he was his friend. He got up because of his shamelessness. He got up because he understood this guy needs help and he's not too big to ask for it. Let's change this a little bit. Let's make the friend in the house God. I said we're not focusing on persistence, and now you see why. Because I think the word is better shameless than it is uh, persistence. God's the friend in the house. We come shamelessly. We should come shamelessly before God and say, God, we can't go to Spain. God, we can't sponsor a church plant in Phoenix. God, we're struggling to get across the street. We can't do these things. I am shameless before you. I am not ashamed to admit to you, God, that I can't do it on my own. I have a need. I have an inability to fill that need. And guess what? God is the only one that can fill that need. And because of our shamelessness, because of our understanding of our position and his position, we get what we ask for. We get an answer. Let me, let me put it that way for right now. Shamelessness. We approach prayer shamelessly. Verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, Jesus still talking, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, all, who asks receives and the one who searches finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now there, there are some that would say these are different. You know, each one, ask, seek, knock, means something different. And, and we might could talk about it a, a little bit. I'm not going to this morning. Let's just understand that right now we're talking about various types of praying. Maybe we're talking about uh, a different uh, intensity of praying, but it's just all praying. Okay, let's, let's give it a blanket statement right now. Inherent in these verses is the fact that we are seeking asking and knocking in God's will. Let's, let's look at it a second. I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given. Now, I've, I've, I've gone out of my way here the last couple of minutes to say you don't always get what you ask for. You get an answer, but not what you ask for. But here Jesus says, clearly, Michael, uh, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. The implication here is that what I'm asking for, I will receive. Keep seeking, keep searching, 
and you will find. Again, the implication is, if we take the, first, the, the verse ahead of it, I will find the thing I'm looking for. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. Now, again, the implication is, if I go and knock on this door, it's not that door that's going to be opened, it's that door that I'm knocking on. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. So Michael, see, Jesus does give us everything we ask for. No, he doesn't. Uh, there was this little verse we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. I think I spent an entire sermon on that, maybe. Uh, recall that one. That if we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, that means we are in his will. That is the only way we can truly delight ourselves in, in the Lord, by being in the midst of his will. And if we are in the midst of his will, we will... Uh, our heart's desires will be his heart's desires. Remember how we talked about that? Well, in this passage, I am confident that we can apply this verse. So we might say, so I say to you, keep asking in my will, and it will be given to you according to my will. Keep searching in my will, and you will find it according to my will. Now, I know I'm adding to the Bible here. Just bear with me. Keep knocking in my will, and the door will be open to you according to my will. See, we want, we want Jesus and, and God to be uh, this, uh, this vending machine, but we can trust that God is not going to give outside of his will and character. I can pray till I am blue in the face for something that does not fit God's will for my life, and I am not going to get it. Do you know how many times I've prayed for financial freedom? How many times the rest of us have too? And yet, I still haven't won that lottery. I haven't bought any tickets either, but I, I guess that would help. It might improve my chances. But, you know, I'm dependent on God to give me the millions some supernatural way. And I haven't gotten it. Why? Didn't fulfill His will. Now, I am firm in my belief that if my sudden wealth in some way fulfilled his will for my life, that he'd give it to me. Either way, whether it happens or it doesn't, I'm confident that I'm in his will. So I ask, well, no, I quit asking to win the lottery. Um, again, I don't buy a ticket. So I try not to ask for things that don't, don't seem to fit where God's putting me. Bring it, bring it down a notch. You know, I might have prayed. No, I did pray. Let's go back to when I was a church planter myself and, and didn't quite work out so much. I prayed for that church to be, you know, saddleback of, of Houston. You know, I was going to rival Joel Osteen. You know, I, why not? I just wanted a few hundred folks, <laughs> let's be honest. You know, a few thousand have been great. I was looking for a couple of hundred. That had been awesome. It was not in God's will. I prayed for that. I knocked. I sought. I, I, I asked, God, do this. And I didn't get it. God hate me? I don't think so. That was not what God had for me at the time. Let's be, you know, let's be honest. Had we gotten the 50, 100 of whatever I wanted at the time, I wouldn't be here today. 
And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, this is God's will for my life. So those things were not a part of his plan for me. I asked, I sought, I knocked, and I did not get. And then when that didn't work, I asked, and I sought, and I knocked, and here I am today. And some of you are saying, well, you should have knocked a little softer. You know, maybe, maybe that's what you're thinking, but uh, yeah. sorry. He will not give us anything outside of his will and character. But, verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Yeah, I didn't get what I wanted. But I got exactly what I needed. Why? Because God's mean and didn't want to give me what I wanted? No, because God provides needs. God provides exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. You see, for us, it, it's kind of, you know, you might say fish, serpent, um, egg, scorpion, what are you getting at here, here Luke? Uh, well, there are things that are kind of similar. Um, it's a contrast between things that are similar, but, but one is, is harmful. You know, a, snake, a serpent and a fish, upon first touching it, might feel similar until the snake bites and the fish doesn't. And then you realize there's some very drastic differences between the two. Uh, an egg and a scorpion, I've never seen one of the really big scorpions, but apparently, uh, from what I've read, that when a scorpion balls up and pulls everything in, it looks round, and I don't know what kind of eggs they're eating over there, but its, it's shape, at least, is similar to an egg. So if you grabbed it, it would feel round until he spread out. So there are things that, that the Bible is telling us what father would, when, when the child asks for a need, would give him something that looks like it, but then hurts him? What God would give me a million dollars when I ask for it? Let me back up. What God would, when I ask for my needs to be met, let me put it that way, would give me a million dollars instead of what meets my needs. The million dollars looks like, looks like what would meet my need. Just like the serpent is similar, just like to the fish, just like the scorpion was similar to the egg. But God knows in my hands, a million dollars would be harmful. I wish that wasn't the case. Um, I wish I could be trusted with that. But for whatever reason, I can't be. So I don't get it. God does not give me what will harm me. God gives me what I need. God provides. We only need what helps us fulfill our purpose and, in, and His will. See, we don't need, I don't need the million dollars 
Because in God's economy, a million bucks would not help me fulfill my purpose in His will. I think it would, but I'm stupid. God's not. That would not help me one bit. As a matter of fact, it would be harmful. Now, it's not, that's not to say that God doesn't give us more than we need. Because He does. He blesses us repeatedly. I mean, He has given us what we need. Let's keep with the financial thing. But He continues to bless us in ways that we never saw coming. Things that, that, that He has done for us and provided for us, and not just in the last five months here, but in the previous five years when we were trying to plant that church. Things that I saw God do over and over and over in the life of, of that church and what He did with our faith. But it doesn't happen because we ask. And I'm a firm believer in this. God, I need a thousand dollars to, to, to pay my bills this month. God, give me $5,000 so I can have 4000 to blow. God, give it, please give it to me. I just, I don't think he does that. I don't think he gives those things because we ask for them. I think he gives those things because we don't. I believe that we are blessed because we don't expect the blessing. Let's, 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 Bring it down to our level. Do we, do we give the kid who, who is constantly annoying us about, I want this, I want that, I want that, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Do we give him that stuff? Well, if we do, we raise ourselves a spoiled brat. But if we hold back and we teach them, no, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, then one day they get extra and it's I got dessert. We never have dessert. I believe that's the way God works with us. And I believe it holds out in Scripture that we don't get those things because we demand them. We get them because we humble ourselves, we conform ourselves to Christ. We say, God, give me what I need. Give me my daily bread. And God says, here you go. And boy, here's some more. Because you're, 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 you're doing what I've asked. That's how I believe God works. Ultimately, though, he adds this tag to the end. Our main need is the Holy Spirit. He says that in verse uh, 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? And you might say, what in the world did the Holy Spirit show up here at the end? He hadn't talked about the Holy Spirit the whole passage, and then suddenly he throws this in. This is what he's saying. Your main need, even though God will give you the egg and the fish that you need, your main need is the Holy Spirit in your hearts. Church... Our main need is not however many thousands of dollars it's going to take to go to Spain. Our main need is not the however much we're going to give monthly to the church plant in Phoenix. Our main need is not enough money to repaint or fix the foundation or get some new tables or any of that. All those things, God will provide those needs. Our main need is the Holy Spirit to take residence in this church and us not to run him off. That is our main need. And God knows what our main need is. If we have a father who gives us the good gifts 
a, a human father who gives us good gifts, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Are we praying for revival? Are we praying that the preacher will shut up talking about it so I won't feel guilty anymore? Are we praying that God will change our town and our church? Or are we so scared of change that we want things to stay just the same and they can go to hell, that's fine, but don't change things in here? Is that our prayer? Let's let our prayer be that the Holy Spirit will come for us to guide us to truth, to encourage, to pray for us, to center us in God's will. That's what God wants to give us. That's what God is waiting on us to pray for. So yes, pray for our missionaries. Pray for the North American missionaries. Pray for the Gideons and their Bibles. Pray for Phoenix. Pray for Spain. Pray for our VBS that's coming up in the fall. And another uh, revival uh, week that we're going to do in the summer with a group that's going to come and do backyard Bible clubs and, and block parties and pray for Team Kid, something we're going to start in the fall for our children on Wednesday nights. Pray for all of these things. Pray for the, some crosses, just some plastic crosses we're going to put in our yards and how that might be a witness to our neighbors. Pray for all those things. Pray, pray, pray. But first... Pray for the Spirit to fall on this church. Because we're not going to do anything unless we don't. If we don't. We're not going to get anything done unless the Spirit comes and works amongst, amongst us. We'll sit here, I'll preach, we'll sing, and we'll go home, and in 50 years this church will be gone. Or useless. Or dried up, just a building barely in 50 years. Let's not be that. Let's pray the Spirit will come. But ultimately, folks, the first place God wants to work is our hearts, especially if you've never been saved. That's where He wants to begin today. See, the most important prayer we'll ever pray is to pray to ask Jesus into our hearts. Now, that prayer does not save us. The prayer vocalizes. The prayer puts into words what our heart is crying. We admit that we're sinners, that we have broken God's law. We believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on the cross and rose three days later to prove salvation to us, to give us a hope that, yes, one day we'll rise just like he did. And then we confess with our mouth, by our actions, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're saved. The prayer doesn't do it. The formula doesn't do it. The faith in our hearts is what does it. But that prayer is the most important prayer you may ever pray. You will ever pray. The one where you ask Jesus to come into your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask you today to fill our church, to, to use us, to speak to us now as we have heard your words, we, uh, we pray that you, would, that you would do some great things, Lord. If there is one here who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray today is the day of salvation for that person. Lord, move among us. Do not, God, I beg, do not let any heart go from this place unchanged. Lord, we want to see you work in mighty, mighty ways. 
we want to see you do amazing things in our church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So pray about your decision. What have you decided? How is God working on you? Are you asking to accept Christ today is that for your first time? Is that what he's inviting you to do? Are you, are you desiring to be baptized? Do you know for a fact that, that, that you're going to heaven? What's your decision? Maybe you need to join First Baptist. Maybe it's a decision you need to, to make in your heart. Yeah, Michael, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray today and tomorrow and the next day. And I'm going to pray until there's a church in Spain in, 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 uh, among the Fala. I'm going to pray until there's a church in Phoenix. I'm going to pray till every person in Nixon has had the opportunity to choose uh, to reject or accept Christ. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be a part of the ministry and missions of this church. Maybe that's your decision this morning. As we sing, as you stand, come and pray about that at the altar. It's open. Come share your decision with me or one of the deacons, and let's sing.